Hey, it's Margot Tantow here. Welcome to Windowsill Chats, a podcast for creatives and the creatively curious. I am so glad you're here. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. I've spent time in the trenches, figuring out the best way to get something made, how to put oneself out there, how to get your work noticed, and pull yourself up and face the next challenge. Windowsill Chats brings you creativity from a global perspective, as I talk in depth to friends I've met along the way. I'm here to bring their stories to you, as well as a few of my own, and see if there's anything you can pull out for yourself. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of wine and join me over in my sunny windowsill. Yes, I need your trouble. of windowsill chats and if this is your first time listening i am so glad you're here i am super lucky to be able to bring you another session with lisa congdon we have the best time talking and you know i don't usually go back and listen to the podcast i kind of just let them roll but i did hear and i just i found myself chuckling because we really we really got into it and had a great time talking about this i hope you get a lot out of it and i I must say, I wish I'd had some of this advice earlier in my creative journey. Lisa talked about uh, what is your visual vocabulary, and we give you tips on how to discover what that is, how to discover your creative style and voice, but mostly permission to be you. But before we get into that, I want to read today's review and thank Rendell H. for leaving this great review, and any of you can do so. Just go to the bottom of the episode and leave your review. Rendell says, this is entitled Wednesday Walking Buddies. Wednesday mornings are for walking and talking while actually listening on my end. I love listening to windowsill chats while on my Wednesday morning walks. As an artist that is still looking for her niche, I love all of the encouraging words from Margot and her guests. I love hearing about their journeys as creatives and what they have taken to heart along the way. The rapport Margot has with everyone makes me feel like I'm right there with them in deep and welcoming conversations about being a creative. Thank you, Margo, for sharing your knowledge and that of your guests. Thank you. Thank you. Because you know what? We're here because of you and because we've figured it out along the way as well. I think you'll find this conversation with Lisa is extra relevant for this these very things, thoughts, tips, digging in. The question we answered was from one of you listeners. And in the beginning, you'll hear, I had a hard time kind of even putting words to it, like how to, how to you organize your portfolio, what makes your work consistent, what's your style. We talk a lot about the process of discovering who you are. Lisa has her great new book, finding your artistic voice out. And that's really the thread of this conversation. That's not what we said about talking about, but it comes back to that. We talk a lot about how to organize your life, fantastic tips about projects and, you know, kind of 
what should take priority, things like that. The thing I really love, though, is we talk a lot about grace and a lot about permission, giving yourself permission to be yourself, to do it your way, and to find the right path, find the things that feel right for you. I hope you enjoy it. Tuck in. And here's more from Lisa and myself. Thank you so much for being here for another episode of Windowsill Chats. And if you'd like a little bit more advice on the monthly, I encourage you to hop on over to relishyourcreativity.com. That's the monthly membership that Natalie Shepard from Studio Shepard and I have started. And it's already vibrant and has a wonderful group of creatives in there. So no pressure, but if you'd like to check that out, relishyourcreativity.com. I am thrilled that Ms. Lisa Congdon is back sitting in the windowsill today. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. The proverbial windowsill. Although in two weeks, I will indeed be sitting on your actual windowsill. You or actually I don't know. Will. Not, I don't know if I've ever sat on your windowsill before, but kind I of we could you... probably make it happen <laughs> if you, if we wanted to under the windowsill on yeah. the, on the outdoor gonna, furniture, we're gonna have an in-person visit. So. <laughs> we are. Can't wait. We haven't talked since your podcast launched, which is yeah. so exciting. So this is the, this is the windowsill chats, um, and Lisa Congdon sessions, which is the name of my podcast. And then we're going to do joint episodes. Yes. Um, every now and again. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now is one of those times. So yeah, I launched, uh, well, let's see. Episode four comes out on Thursday. So it will have come out when this pops mm-hmm. in next week. Yeah. Episode four will be out and maybe, yeah, maybe five, even depending on your schedule. And, um, so, and I release them every two weeks. So I guess it's been around for a couple of months now. Yeah. Fantastic. And to rave <laughs> reviews, such positive well, to feedback. Most people, I think I have maybe, a, I, I looked and I have a couple one-star reviews, but I haven't read them yet. I'm not really interested in what those people have to say anyway, because I think they're bots. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> I don't, I don't read my reviews on Amazon. I don't read I just, I'm a really sensitive person and people do occasionally send me mean emails, mm-hmm. if you can believe it. And those I have to read because I open my email and, you know, yeah. but you know, if I have a choice, then I'm not really interested in, I don't necessarily think that that kind of feedback is generally constructive. It's usually just mean spirited. Exactly. I was con- like, you have an annoying voice or, you know, whatever <laughs> you're, you're a fraud, right? It's not very constructive <laughs> or this. productive Yeah, exactly. by any means. It's going well and you're loving it. And what's it feel like to have your own? So it's great. Uh, it's a little prep time involved. Um, you know, as like, I've been doing these monologue podcasts, I will start interviewing people eventually, but right now, um, I'm just doing like these 20 minute episodes where I talk about a topic for 20 minutes that's relevant to creative folks. And my first episode is more my story. So that one was about 45 minutes, but they're pretty short. And so I, I write them and then I record them and the writing them and recording them is the hardest part. And then I have an editor and I figured out how to release them into the world. And yeah, that's fantastic. It's, like, it's, it's great. I'm really loving it's it. It's really exciting. It, it, they're wonderful. They're just great to listen to because it's so real. And so you, and I just love your approach and I love that they're out there and they're happening and that we have lots more to look forward to. Thank you, Margo. Yeah, it's a good thing. 
Today, we always try and pick a topic that one of you have asked for or, you know, ask one of us about that we can riff on for a bit. And today, we thought we would talk about finding direction, kind of making work, but feeling like it's all over the place. What to do when that happens and how to kind of root yourself in your what's okay for you. Yeah. And I I love this topic because this is something that I struggled with a lot in my earlier days. And that may be because I wasn't doing as much client work. So, and I was like trying to find my voice and trying to figure out what I love to do. Like all the things that you're doing in the first five or six or seven years of your you know, art making or art career journey is, Mm -hmm. is supposed to be a lot of exploration, but I think it is, as it was for me, very anxiety producing Mm -hmm, for for a lot of people to be making a decent amount of work. And if, if if you've been making a decent amount of work during the pandemic, kudos to you. Mm -hmm. Um, but then also feeling like, Hey, I feel like I don't have a focus or I don't know how to create a focus around my work. Like nothing is hanging together. Mm -hmm. Um, and The first thing I want to say is that if you're making a lot of work and it's all over the place and you like that and you're fine with it, you're not doing anything wrong. Like that's completely fine. Also, like Mm -hmm. this is not an episode on why you should have, you know, a a focused body of work, but if you, if you feel like you're all over the place and, and that's giving you anxiety, there's definitely stuff you can do to, to like focus more and to create a body of work that feels more cohesive. I agree. And I think sometimes when when you're learning or you're taking different classes or, you know, there's so much available Skillshare here or an online class there. And all those things add to your skills and they add to your portfolio and they add to the work you're producing. And you might be doing, you know, Inktober or Folktale Week or whatever it might be. And there you go with all this work, which is the point to keep yourself practicing every day. But what's you, what do you want to pull in? What do you want to stand for? And how, and how do you figure that out? That's the part that can be a little it's overwhelming a little bit related to like honing your, your artistic voice. Right. So, which by the way, I wrote a book about, but he's interested. <laughs> it's called find your artistic voice, Perfect. the essential guide to working your creative magic. But yeah, like it's, it's a, uh, you, you sort of have to go all over the place to figure that out. And I love the examples you gave. I was nodding my head mm-hmm. when you were talking about taking classes in Skillshare and then participating in Inktober and like these monthly drawing challenges that, you know, you're definitely practicing your drawing skills or your painting skills or your design skills, which is great, but you're practicing them around all of these different subject matter. And so in the end, everything kind of looks different than everything else, or maybe Mm -hmm. you're trying different mediums and different classes. So that's okay. Just like grant yourself some grace because that's just part of being an artist. I mean, I still, to this day, um, will experiment with something new and then, um, it looks so different than other things that I've done. And actually that really throws me off. So recently I designed a t-shirt for a cause and the organization for whom I was doing, helping to do fundraising approached me about designing a t-shirt and the t-shirt sold really well and raised some money for this organization. But, um, my friend, um, Guy, he, um, he, his girlfriend, who's another, who's a close friend of mine. Um, I guess he stole the t-shirt from her. Like she bought it and then he ended up wearing it. And so we were having dinner the other night and I was like, Oh, thank you so much for, you know, wearing my t-shirt or whatever. And 
And he's like, this style is very different for you. He's like, it's very different. Are you moving in a new direction? And I was like, (laughs) no. And And then of course his girlfriend and Clay like chimed in. It's not different than her style. It's totally her style as if he didn't know. And, but the whole thing was like, made me anxious. Yeah. A little I defensive see, I bet. because I'm like, no, it totally looks like my other work. Like, so my point here is we often have a lot of attachment to our style or whatever mm-hmm. our style is perceived as being. And sometimes we judge ourselves for delving out of that. And sometimes we feel other people judge us for also making work that doesn't fit with the previous iteration of our. Oh my gosh. You know, I was thinking about that today, in fact, and and I have two, two thoughts on that. Um, One is finding your style because I remember taking, you know, pre online classes. um, I had this wonderful painting teacher in Napa, Lynn Tuft. And, and she, I just loved her landscapes and, but she taught me to paint how she painted. I mean, she used her methods to teach, you know, that's what we were working on, but I didn't want to paint like she painted. I never want to paint, do something like somebody else does. Right. And I found, and what would, I know what would have gotten me out of that is doing it over and over and over again and trying it with different, trying it with gouache instead of acrylics and trying, you know, but I, it stopped me is what it did it, it because I felt like I didn't find my own style. So, and I think as I've grown into my creativity in different ways. I don't do it very much, but when I do, I find that all those things come together to create something different finally. But I think that's one of the things about giving yourself grace, right? You know, it's like, yeah, you're, you're trying something new or you're learning something new. And maybe, maybe it's, maybe you're evolving, imagine, you know, but the other thing I was thinking about was specifically thinking of um, an artist called Lynn Whipple, who was known very well for a certain type of thing very well. And, and she, she really reinvented herself a couple of times. And she posted a picture last week of herself being able to do an art show again. Um, and, it, and her booth is just full of these big riotous, joyful florals. And it's absolutely totally different than some pieces that I have. And I, I was just like, that's brave, you know? And it, and it was her listening to her gut saying, maybe you're ready to try something else, you know, and don't worry about people being like, I want your you know, old stuff. Yeah, it's true. I, I, um, I have, as you know, evolved many times and I think I'm kind of settled into definitely a look and feel. And even when I change my color palette, occasionally people, they don't necessarily riot, but like (laughs) I was all excited because I I started, um, using more earth tones in this new body of work. And I posted all I've, I've only posted like a couple pieces from that new body of work and they didn't get as many likes on Instagram. And I was like, they're new. I know. And that's because people, they either don't notice or, and not that I use that as a gauge of like, whether something is good or not, or even my own, it doesn't affect my self-esteem, but it did make, make me pause and say like, maybe my audience doesn't like these colors. Anyway, it's change is hard for people. But, um, but I do want to say back to, back to this original question. Cause we get yes. to talk about, <laughs> talk about often other, running. <laughs> yeah. Often running. So we know why we often feel like we're all over the place. And one is that we're trying different things, which is a good thing, right? Yes. As you have, we just, we've established taking classes is, is good, but you also pointed out like, trust your gut about, you know, how, wh- whether or not you, what, whether you need to take what your instructor teaches you as your practice, because ultimately every, 
art teacher is teaching you their own process, Mm -hmm. right? And that may or may not work for you. And then, you know, so being new at something, trying things because you're bored, trying new things because you're trying to find your voice. These are all legitimate reasons for being all over the place. And it's a completely normal thing. There are, you know, a handful of artists out there who like tried something, went with it and have been doing the same thing for their entire career. And more Mm -hmm. often than not, though, you're going to find people who are all over the place until they're not. Um, If you look at my work from uh, like even my Instagram feed, if you can even go back that far from like 2011 or 12 or 13, you would see a work that looks totally different Mm -hmm. than what I make now. But B, you would see a lot, a lot of stuff that is just not like is all over the place. Mm -hmm. And now, even when I show pictures of some of that stuff, you can see my voice and you can see colors and definitely a certain sensibility that runs through my work, but the work itself is very different. I also experimented with a lot of things and I also had a lot of anxiety about that. And so I really did get to the place where I kind of have this body of work that even when I'm using different mediums, there's something kind of consistent about it. I I do say there's one anomaly and that is recently I finished this book for kids on the periodic table of elements. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to illustrate this book in my very kind of modern flat graphic style, because it's very consistent with everything else I do now, even yeah. when I paint. But unfortunately it's a, sci- well, not unfortunately, but <laughs> it's a science book and things had to look realistic, mm-hmm. which often requires putting shadow and like detail. And, you know, I literally my illustrations were fact-checked. So, oh wow. <laughs> so Yeah because this book, you know, we want it to be, you know, used by science Mm -hmm. teachers. And Mm -hmm. so I had to use this kind of a style of mine that was a little older because I did used to draw more realistically Mm -hmm. and, um, used, I used a lot of photo reference and that was, you know, that feels like an anomaly to me, even though it's in my skill set. and people have been following me for a long time. I definitely like see, still see me in the work, but it does look different. But for the most part, I found this way of working that, that really, that I love. And like, you know, Margot, I started making ceramics a couple of years ago. Yes. And even though I'm, I'm terrible at it still, like the ceramics that I make, um, have the same symbols on them, mm-hmm. the same kind of shapes as all my other work. Like, even though I'm using this completely different medium, right. The work has this, it kind of hangs same together. voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I do collage, same thing. And so What I recommend people do, first of all, is get into like, do those daily practices, but, um, try to find a, a way to tie them together with some thread. And for every person there might be, there should be at least one thread, if not more. Hmm. So one of the threads in my work, regardless, maybe science book aside, um, regardless of kind of whether I'm working in a more painterly style or, um, flat graphic style or hand, you know, working on the computer, working analog is my color palette. So Mm -hmm. if you look in my portfolio, you'll see, or even my Instagram feed, you'll see painted stuff. You'll see gouache painted. You'll see, um, you'll see acrylic, you'll, you'll see ceramics and you'll see a lot of digital drawing and the, color palette is very consistent Mm -hmm. in most of my work, which is why when I change it up a little bit, people are like, what? What? Um, (laughs) then, okay. So there's, I know. So there's that. And then there's also, I think 
I always encourage people to think about what are the reoccurring, this is kind of under the header of like subject matter, but like what's the reoccurring subject matter in your work or symbols mm-hmm. or how yes. do you make lines? Um, in the first, one of the first chapters of Find Your Artistic Voice, I talk about all of these ways of like rendering visual imagery that make up your style. Mm-hmm. And um, in the beginning, we don't necessarily have a style or we're trying to find it, right? right. But see what you're drawn to. What do you, what, 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 like I freaking love drawing hands. There's yeah. just in a certain way that I draw them. Um, that's just a, a short list of things that you will see in and across my work. And other people, I'll never forget. So Mady McDonough, who is an amazing artist and also mm-hmm. an old friend of mine, she and I used to um, teach this painting class together. It was called, She's get been, your pain. she talked about it on the podcast. Yeah. Get your paint on. And so it cracks me up now to think about that class, but we <laughs> like, it was like before Skillshare and we just like recorded this class and like people bought it and we released these videos and I, she and I had so much fun making that class. But anyways, she used to talk about the, you know, she, more, she was sort of ahead of me in her kind of like maturity of her voice hmm. at the time. And I think I've caught up, but like, I was still trying to figure out who I was when we taught this class. And I had really good technical skills for draw, painting realistically. And mm-hmm. she, her work was way more whimsical than mine was at the time. And she used to paint these little cats and tigers, and they were always wearing tube socks. And I'll never forget in one of the sessions that we recorded, she talked about having these cats that were in a lot of her work that were tube socks. And that was like one of her symbols. Like that was one of her things. And I was like, oh, Mady has a, that's, that's part of your voice. Like that, Mm. like such a light bulb went off for me Um, because she was so much more advanced in the, like the sort of. I was still trying to figure out what my subject matter was really. Mm -hmm. And she kind of had really reached this point where, I mean, her work has changed a lot now. She does mostly abstract work now, but it was such a light bulb moment moment for me. me. And then I took that and I started kind of collecting my own sets of symbols that were reappearing in my work. Mm. And so it didn't matter if I was doing Inktober or fairy tale challenge or folk folk tale challenge or- any of the challenges right? or, you, you know, did draw. it your way because I was like, Oh, I'm going to integrate this color palette and I'm going to use these symbols and I'm going to draw these animals that I love to draw as the characters in whatever it is I'm drawing. So there's, so that, you know, like finding what makes your work identifiable. And if you don't know what that is, ask people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what do they think about when they see your work? Yeah. What do they see and what makes this consistent or what makes it inconsistent? Mm -hmm. And then another piece of advice I have is to make bodies of work. So Mm -hmm. to think about your, take the classes and stuff, but choose your own challenge to make a body, like pretend you're getting ready for a gallery show, you know, prepare for one, whether you have one scheduled or not. That's great advice. And say, what is the theme of this show? And how is the work going to hang together in a gallery? How's it going to look like it's, it's, it's like the pieces talk to each other. And, you know, there are artists who have shows that have all different mediums and, you know, and maybe it's color, Mm -hmm. maybe it's subject matter, maybe it's size. I don't know, but make bodies of work. And then um, you'll notice when you do that, that um, something really magical happens Mm -hmm. in that process. 
it's like giving yourself a gift of an assignment, you know, in that way, because if you're, and I find that I, I do some silversmithing too. Audience might not know, but um, when I started um, the teacher, I I'd taken very strict German from a German teacher early on. And it was just too much for me, too much math. And so (laughs) later in life, I found a teacher that was much more my style and and it was organic and it, what was, what was coming to me and I could draw it and cut it at the same time without measuring and, you know, just more my style, but then just what you're saying, like, but then what, you know, you know, you make a ring and you make some earrings. So I had to really start thinking about what's a collection. What is, what am I going to do? So if I was selling these or showing these to somebody, it wasn't just, 16 random pieces. There was a story running through it. So, you know, it, that's a great way to think about, uh, about it when you're pulling your work together, so to speak, even in your portfolio, I think portfolios are, that would be a great thing to touch on because, um, I have, I work with a lot of people and consult with people who's, who wh- that's one of the main things they want is like, could you look at my portfolio? And Often it's very helpful if you're trying to license and things like that to have a lot, you know, there's lettering here and there's, but, um, but how do you organize that so that it doesn't seem all over the place? It seems clean. It seems like you want to dive deeper instead of like, whoa, too much here. Yeah, that's such a great question. I, I mean, you and I get emails from a lot of different artists. I mean, you professionally consult and people are often sending me things for feedback or contacting me and we'll share, sometimes share with each other. And, and oftentimes what we'll say is, oh, wow, really cohesive body of work, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This person knows who they are and Mm -hmm. can execute that well. We might also say, oh, this person has a lot of potential, but they're all over the place. They haven't figured out, you know, and that's, again, if you don't aspire to make a dime from your art, um, that's totally fine and be all over the place. It doesn't matter. But if you do um, want to be recognized, it is actually important to eventually get to the place where you have a voice and your voice is distinct and recognizable. And um, it's different from a brand. It's true. It's true. I mean, you could also have a brand that is distinct and recognizable, but your artwork itself is, um, you know, like you could be a a fine artist, a painter, and never even think of yourself as a brand. And it's still really important for you to have a body of work that fits together or that's, that necessarily isn't like visually, um, well, I think visually cohesive, but also that the work speaks to each other. So if you're sculpting and you're making paintings and you're making pottery and you're making jewelry, like, and those things are all going to be, um, part of what you share with the world on your website or on your Instagram, it's, it's important for them to kind of, um, visually, you know, speak to your audience visually in a cohesive way, I think. Um, Uh, yeah. I mean, it's also interesting, like when artists who are known for really abstract work, like will show a drawing that they did of a person for fun. Like, I'm not saying don't ever share your, your hobbies or like, you know, what you do on the side or whatever, but, um, but kind of like curating your choices of what you share eventually is important, um, Mm -hmm. especially on your website. And so I used to teach a class that was called building a robust portfolio. 
it's not online anymore, but, um, I think I'll probably talk about that in a future podcast episode, or maybe you and I can talk about it another time. But, um, one of the things that I talk about in that class is dividing. So there are no rules for how to organize your portfolio, right? You can organize your portfolio in whatever way makes sense for your work. So for some people, it might be medium, right? Mm -hmm. That when they're working in different mediums, they're not necessarily, you know, especially if your color palette isn't consistent, you could say you could have a portfolio that was like oil paintings and gouache paintings and ceramics or whatever. You could also have one that was like animals, uh, people, you know, and send something else, um, whatever. Um, you could divide it by re um, representational and abstract right. works. Like you get to decide how to organize your work in a way that makes sense for you, your potential clients or your potential audience or customers. And um, my, what's interesting is I used to have portfolios that were divided into all these funky categories. Yeah. And recently my um, voice is so honed, even with my photography mm -hmm. that it, everything I like, I just have one portfolio mm. that you can scroll through because I take these photographs of organized collections, but they mimic so well, so much yeah. other work that I make that is painted um, organized collections. And my color palette, even in those is pretty consistent that it works for me to just plop everything into the same place and see people, you know, have people see the breadth of what I do. Right. Um, in the old days, I couldn't have done that because, because things were too all over the place, you know, right. and I had to divide it up into categories. And I think it's not necessarily the goal to get everything to fit together, but that's just one way, you know, that you've kind of really established a point of view as an artist. I agree. And I think it's rare and more rare to be able to do that. And I love that yours works so well that way because your photographs do mimic in a way that you just, you know, if the person observe knows your painting say, but then sees the photographs, they'll, they'll love those because they are similar. And if you're looking, if your portfolio, somebody else's portfolio has, I do sea life and I do lettering and I do Christmas and I do, you know, if it's really all that, if, that on the same page just makes me click away. Especially <laughs> if you are not somebody like me whose work is driven by color. So right. I do occasionally add a new color here and there or remove one that I've been hanging on to for a long time. But for the most part, I use the same seven colors mm -hmm. and occasionally I'll switch them up. But my subject matter and style is so honed mm -hmm. that the work is still recognizably mine, even when I change the colors. And sometimes I have to change colors for the client. So mm -hmm. I work with a lot of big brands and they have style guides and color requirements and I have to abide by those. And so sometimes I don't get to use my own colors at all. Mm. And that's, but it's still recognizably mine because, you know, yeah. um, your hand, your element, and that's right. All of the things are, people see them over and over. Um, so anyway, that's kind of like, the, I think that one of the important things to remember is that, especially when you're first starting out, or especially if you are like a licensing artist and I, mm -hmm. I do license my work, but I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't call myself a licensing artist. If you're a licensing artist and your goal is to make bodies of work and collections of patterns and what did Lila used to call them? Um, like 
replacements, like, mm. like things that not, not repeat patterns, but like pieces of art that could go on a mug or that right. could go elements. on a plate. Elements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that you're, you build those collections together and you post them together. But if you have Christmas in your Christmas palette intermixed with spring, which is purple and teal and all these other things, it's, you know, it's, it could look funky on, Mm -hmm. you know, the same page. So how you organize your portfolio is, um, is important. Now, Instagram's hard because, um, we don't get a choice of how to arrange things on Instagram. It's chronological. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, some people do some really fun things where they put the same frame around everything, or they put the same, you know, in the old days, we would put the same filter on every photo and, you know, but, um, and there's some people who still do that religiously, but I think that like, if you look at your Instagram and what you see is just a bunch of stuff that doesn't fit together and you aspire to be a professional artist, it probably means you need to work on honing a certain style, at least for a while mm-hmm. and like moving in, in one direction. Um, especially if it's making you anxious, yes. but yeah, giving yourself a theme or like, yeah. uh, uh, just something or a, like a constraint. Do you remember Margot in 2016 when I only use the color blue for like yes. the entire year. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, except for client work, all my personal work was only in shades of blue and it was called experiments in blue. And I posted about it every day or every week on my, um, there's a lot on Instagram if you go way back, but, um, most of it was on my blog that I kept at mm-hmm. the time. And I learned so much about how to use blue and how to like make things work in one color. Such a great project. Yeah. And it was like this thing. I made this cohesive body of work. I even had a show in upstate. I still New York. wish I had that blue house that Jennifer Orkin Lewis. <laughs> yeah. <got>. Jennifer Orkin Lewis <laughs> bought the house. Sorry. Um, now that I know you loved that house, I should just make you another version of it. And, and I'm still drawing houses, but now they're all digital. And but again, there's an element of yours. And I, that I keep coming back to you're saying that is, is find those things, those shapes, those themes that you really like, because when I think about your ceramics, they're, they're not those colors They're You, you know, you've, you've kind of, I mean, some are, but you have some well, really neutral be- pieces. Yeah. And partly that's because with ceramic glazes, it's hard to get the exact color that you want, but, but, that's but you're a, right. there's a challenge. I embraced neutral for sure. And that, yeah. but that's a challenge too. That's a learning challenge, but then awesomely recognizable by that shape, you know, or that, yeah, or just the four leaf clover and the, the circle and the triangle and, and yeah. the, the rabbit. And yeah, exactly. And you know what? It's also okay to, to draw a rabbit one way in all of your work. Like I love yay for permission. So not (laughs) everything has to be original. Do you know how much cutting and pasting I do in my work? Like how many times I take the same eye that I drew in another thing and plop it in a new drawing. I mean, that's the thing about digital drawing. That's like, so amazing is like the cutting and pasting. And I, I mean, this it's your work. You can do yeah. whatever the F you want. Okay. And, um, you, Hear that if, you if you drew the eye and you drew the house and, you know, and, and then change the colors or like give it a new arrangement or whatever, like you, one of the things that has changed my art practice so much in the last few years is just permission to like, yes. I almost think of myself as a designer who's using elements that I've created in different mm. ways. And 
I see a lot of people doing that now. Like, and that's kind of one, also one way to develop a style is like repeat things. It's not boring. People like it. They like, exactly. To see, Guess what? <laughs> they like to see the same things show up. They like, if people like your icons, like keep using them in different yes. ways in your work. Yes. And if it's, you like other people's icons, draw the same icon in a totally different way. Exactly. You know, exactly. If you're a hand person, make up your own hands. If you're a, you know, the, that's right. I mean, think about it. There's, you know, it's, it's how many, that's t- what how art many, is. like, um, hand symbols, like, um, it, that are so iconic, like a thumbs up or a peace sign or, you know, or I love you, um, you know, sign language, um, do people draw in oh, yeah. a myriad of different ways and they're all beautiful and nobody owns hand sim- symbols. It's right. just, you don't want to copy the exact way somebody else does it, you know? Right. And they're very appealing. I mean, they're very, very, you know, there, there's something comforting about that horseshoes, you know, clovers, yeah. birds, That's certain right. f- types of flowers, those things that sell well because they appeal because they're, we can relate to them. And so what does that look like for you and for your art? And yeah. And if How you're does not it come into together? Symbols, then, you know, what yeah. are you into? And exactly. like drawing your trees a certain way consistently and figuring out where you sit between realistic and, rep, you know, and abstract and like practicing. Okay. So here, here's a good story. I think, um, <laughs> I know you'll like it. Margo. I'll like um, it. So, okay. So I illustrated this children's book a couple of years ago called round. Mm -hmm. And it is a book. It's kind of like a lyrical poem by Jennifer Ward. And I illustrated it and it's like, you know, up round, down round in round out round. I actually don't think in round out round is one of the pages, but you get what I'm saying. It's like, and then there's like a sequel. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's all this like for toddlers. Right. And so we were concepting like, um, what should go on each page. So like nest round, best round is like Mm. a nest on the left-hand side. And on the right-hand side of the spread is like a nest with eggs in it. And then, you know, every, every page has something like that. And I could have drawn this book very, very flat without Mm. any shading or shadows without, and I, it would have been cool, Yeah. but I started illustrating it and I wanted to do it a little bit more realistic. But on many of the spreads in the initial book that I turned in, the editor was like, this one feels really flat and graphic. And this one feels almost like I could walk into the forest and pet this squirrel. So you, I still hadn't figured out in that book how to make a consistent style for that project, because I can do both and -hmm. I can even do more realistic than I did. And I had to land on a place in that illustrating that book that felt consistent the whole way through, which meant repeating characters in the book and repeating Mm. imagery in the book and also making sure like, okay, if the squirrel looks like sort of out of a cartoon, but mostly real, the bird has to look sort of out of a cartoon and mostly real. And so does the owl and, you know, the bird, the, and so does the snake had like actual perfect circles on its scales, which was pushing it a little bit, but like that was the big thing for me was mm. I felt like when I started, it was all over the place, mm. you know, Interesting. and I had to find a place in that book to make all the illustrations hang together. And so 
pretend you're illustrating a book or pretend Perfect. you're curating a show mm-hmm. and make all of the working together in a, in a way that feels like it doesn't mean that you can't do a different body of work that has a different focus or sure. uses different colors or a different level of realism or abstraction. It just means when you're making a body of work, make it hang all together. And so now I'm starting a book for a different author, same editor, same art director. Ah. Um, this one's called rain attentively. Cause there's a few children's books that have come out in the last year called rain. So we're probably gonna change the title, but written also by somebody else, but same thing. I'm trying to figure out like what level of abstraction versus realism I want to achieve in this book. And, and that is, I think every time I make a body of work because I can do an, you know, I can make my style work Mm-hmm. within a spectrum of realistic to abstract, I have to decide for this body of work, what, where's my hit, where's my, you know, my end point. And if I'm working on a show for a gallery, I might ha- say, okay, this collection of drawings is going to be all of the same and the, not the same drawing, but the same level of realistic versus abstract. And they're mm-hmm. all going to hang together on one wall. And then I'm going to have another wall that's going to be way more abstract, but that's going to be visually separated from this other stuff. So it's not even like you're stuck. It's just a good way to practice grouping like mm-hmm. things together. And then you'll notice the more you do that, the more you'll find out what you like and what you're good at and what people respond to. And then that's what you'll start posting. And that's what you'll put in your portfolio because that's mm. the work you are proudest of and the work you want to make more of. And the, the work that people are asking for and responding yeah. to. Like right. I mean, that's a little bit of the equation. It shouldn't drive everything you do, but right. definitely if you want to sell work, you have to pay attention to that. <laughs> for <laughs> like sure. And that's such, those are such great things to think about and such good things to put into practice. And, and, you know, even in describing that show, there's permission. It's not, we're not saying all the same, but groupings that hang together groupings that you could like, think of it, putting it in your house. Would you put those together? You know, do they are you're curating yourself in a way? Yeah. Well, I have a show that opens in October, which I haven't started working on yet, but I'm, I had acupuncture last week. And every time I get the needles and the light goes out and she leaves the room for 45 minutes, I just go into like full brainstorming creativity mode unless I fall asleep, which sometimes also (laughs) happens. But anyway, um, so I got all these ideas and I like literally mapped the, I've worked with this gallery twice and I've mapped everything out and where I wanted it and what I'm going to make. In fact, Mario, I can't tell you, wait to tell you about it when I see you in a couple of weeks. I can't wait either. So anyway, I had an idea for a wall of drawings and it was bothering me that this idea didn't mesh with anything else that I had brainstormed. Everything else fit together. And so I'm having this conundrum. Should I save that collection for something else and make something else for that wall that jives better with everything else? Or is it okay for me to make mm-hmm. a collection of things that hang together that maybe um, use one of the colors from everything else, but look kind of visually different? I haven't figured Ooh. that out yet, but these are the questions we think about. Right. Because even once you get to the place where you don't feel like you're all over the place, you still feel like you're, you know, there are times when you, you still feel that way. Yeah. So there's again, permission, that word keeps coming up, Mm -hmm. but do you see how even those artists that maybe to an outsider seem like they have it all figured out every step of the way we're asking ourselves what feels right. We're giving ourselves new ideas. We're letting ourselves be inspired. We're questioning ourselves. We're, we're stretching. And, and that's, that's just the best way to go about it. I think. 
I agree. And, you know, you'll find, I, I give various descriptions of this in, in my book, but there is this place that you reach where you kind of feel like you're floating around in your own orbit, essentially. Like you might look at, you know, look at that planet or that star and say, you know, oh, that's cool. Um, and you register it in your brain and you're, you know, but you're, even when new things come into your orbit, you're still processing them through your own visual library, your own visual, Mm -hmm. um, my, my studio manager, who's now my, um, head of retail operations, she calls it like visual vocabulary, right? Like Mm -hmm. that. I love that term and I've stolen it from her, but, um, she uses that a lot to, to, to talk about talk with me about my own work and, you know, what my visual vocabulary is. And, um, I love that thinking about everything is filtered through your own visual vocabulary. You have to develop that vocabulary first. Yes. And then eventually, even when you do an inktober, and even when you take a class with a teacher who has a totally different approach, or you try a new medium, you're still going to be filtering it through your own visual vocabulary. If you don't have a visual vocabulary yet, that filtering, or you, you don't have a fully developed visual vocabulary, that filtering doesn't work as well. Um, because you're, you're just trying what you think you should do, or you're just experimenting. Eventually, if you work enough and you practice enough, you will develop a visual vocabulary and filtering will be easier. You'll still be challenged, but filtering will be easier. Oh, that's perfectly said. I can't remember if I've ever told you this story, but it reminds me of finding your own style and visual vocabulary and bad decisions, really bad decisions. (laughs) What I went to UC Davis and there was really fantastic artists that taught there when I was there. One of them being Wayne Tebow. Mm. Have I ever told you this? Well, long story. My friend um, who I met when I did my residency in Fullerton went to UC Davis and studied art and studied under Wayne and like Wayne was his mentor. And so I loved talking to him about that. But I, anyway, I, that's how I knew Wayne was there and is still there. Well, my class was at eight in the morning and, you know, I was young and impressionable and didn't want an eight o'clock in the morning class. So I remember standing at my easel and him coming and telling me, you know, actually try this or do this. And I remember this is Wayne Tebow tell, giving you feedback. Wayne Tebow giving me okay. feedback. Okay. And did you know who you were talking to at the time? I did dropped you know the class. What a big- did you, oh, you, so you had no idea he was a big deal. I did. I mean, I did. did. You didn't care. You no, didn't care. I didn't care okay. because I was 19 and mm-hmm. stupid. <laughs> and one of life, I, life's regrets. Oh my gosh. Seriously. I, what, something was more important at the time. Sleep or I don't know, something was more important, but I just, and I, but I also know hundred percent that I just wasn't at a place where I was challenging myself in the right, in that way. I wasn't ready for that, but Lord, I wish I was, had been, you know? Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so close, but yet so yeah, far. <laughs> fortunately, most people listening to this podcast aren't 19. So, um, probably not. Um, yeah. you are good for you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, but I appreciate again, your sage advice. And you come by it honestly and you work hard for it and it, and it shows. And I'm always just excited to see what your brain comes up with next. Well, thank you. And if any of you are like, this is not at all my problem. My problem is just making work in the first place because mm-hmm. the last year has been a shit show, which it has uh, 14 months now. It's not even a year. It's just an ending. 
shit show. Anyway, my next, the podcast episode that I just recorded that may or may not be out by the time it'll be episode four is about like, kind of like getting your creative mojo back, you know, in times of stress or like tapping into it. And a lot of it is just taking the pressure off yourself to do it in the first place. It works wonders. Pressure is so important. So anyway, which aligns with, I teach a class twice a year called creative mojo and it's all about, yeah. Yeah, Did you know that? (laughs) I I must've stolen that term from you. I should give you credit. I don't think so. Uh, I think that is not any, my term, but Natalie Shepard and myself have done it twice and it's a small, it's a small class. And this is not a, this is not a promotion. I'm just saying how you can promote your stuff, Margot. <laughs> Come on. Well, but that Stop. was not, my, but, but I just, I love so much having a small group of people who are digging into, you know, something feels stuck or something feels like they want to change it and getting, get it to a new place. And when you spend the time to just like you've said, like practice it over and over again, or ask yourself, where am I and where do I want to go? You, you can really shift things. So if you're looking at your art or if you're looking at, if you're feeling like you're all over the place, just kind of take the time to dissect it a bit and get in there and ask yourself why, and why are the reasons and what do you want to put out into the world? And, and what are you doing that you love? And what are you doing that you is just a waste of time, you know, and, and pay attention to it. Right. There's so much that we tell ourselves that we should be doing. One of the examples that I give in this, in this episode is that I will give away now is this, like I bought the art supplies like five months ago and they're still sitting on the table in their packaging. So I should use them. And there's no (laughs) worth, like there's no worse reason to make art than I should, because I bought the, you know, if you feel inspired, that's great. Or like go watch a YouTube video and get inspired and then open them and make something, but don't make something because you bought, bought them and they're sitting there kit and they're sitting there. (laughs) And then how many people bought stuff online, you know, starting in, you know, March of 2020, because they thought, well, I'm going to be at home. I should make this project. And then the stuff came and then they were like, nah. Um, (laughs) and so yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Do it because you want to do it because right. it speaks to you. Wait, and if you don't want to do anything, that's part of what my episode is about is like how to like tap into tap into inspiration again. And part of it is just, um, just listen to the episode. I, I, I don't <laughs> want to give too much of it away. It's only 20 episode four. episode four. Anyways, I'm so glad we had a chance to talk. It's been too long. Too. Um, just so everybody knows we had this vision that we were going to do the, these joint episodes like every six weeks. And, and then I got really busy, but, um, Maybe we'll get back on it. We will. They come around. They do. They do. They do. Now I have my own podcast too. So I've got like all that, you know, content. There's there's lots of good places. I I love talking to you so much, Margot. Ah, likewise. Likewise. I can't wait till you're in the actual windowsill. I know it'll happen soon. And both of our dogs are mostly quiet. Milkshake is sitting here in her bed. Um, Milkshake probably needs to be walked. So well, there's a house full here. (laughs) There will be even more in a couple of weeks. Thank you, my dear. Oh, you bet. Talk to you soon, Margot. Thanks, Thanks for having Lisa. me on. Thanks for listening, everyone. That's it for this episode of Windowsill Chats. Thanks so much for being here with me. It's just so great to be able to bring you these conversations with the fantastic people and wonderful friends that I've met and made along the way. Make sure you subscribe to Windowsill Chats on your favorite podcast app and please share it with a friend. And if this episode spoke to you, I'd really appreciate it if you would also leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can just go to the bottom of the episode you've just listened to, and it'll let you leave a review. If you have any questions or want to check out more details or inspiration that we talked about, 
head over to the show notes at windowsillchats.com or tantowstudio.com. They'll both take you to the same place. I can't wait to share more stories with you again next week. I value your time and I absolutely believe in your potential. Have a great one, everyone, and stay creatively curious.